first he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am, and I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifices of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Amen. I'm using my laptop today because I'm a full generation or two younger than these guys and I needed to bring some technology into the place. But I do have my notes written down just in case it fails me. <laughs> I just want you to imagine yourself for a moment, 3,000 years ago, okay, you're in ancient Israel and you're a follower of the one true God, okay, you're part of the people of God, you follow Yahweh and every year the priest of your people, he offers an animal sacrifice on your behalf, right? This might sound a bit weird, but that's what he does. He offers an animal sacrifice for you, for you on your behalf, as well as other sacrifices and, and offerings through the year. Why? Why did they sacrifice animals? What, what was that all about? Well, it is a bit difficult for us to get our heads around that because obviously that's not something that we do regularly here at Riverview Church. In fact, at all. Don't worry. We don't ever do it. We don't ever do it. <laughs> but see, it was a substitute. Okay, so it was saying that you, I, as a, as a person, deserve to be like that animal. It was a picture. It was saying, my sin is so bad, I ought to be like this animal over here that's been sacrificed. My sin against God would require that kind of punishment. So the animal had taken on the consequences of my sin, demonstrating it. The trouble was that this sacrifice had to be made year after year, repeatedly, over and over again, because it never actually dealt with the root problem. It never actually dealt with the problem of sin itself. Are you with me so far? So animal sacrifice, substitute for people and their sin, not permanently effective, right? But you see, many, many years before that time, the very first humans, Adam and Eve, they had broken what was a perfect and free and loving relationship with their heavenly father in the Garden of Eden because they'd chosen to grasp for themselves something that they thought was better than that. They chose to go their own way. They wanted more. And ever since then, Relationship, the relationship between humanity and their God has been broken. It's been shattered. And 
the blood of the animal sacrifices in the temple, it wasn't a solution to this problem, but it was a reminder, a constant reminder visually that this brokenness existed and we weren't able to fix it. And as a result, the people of God carried guilt and shame and helplessness. It weighed heavily on them despite having this uh, act in the temple. They still had to carry this sense that something wasn't right with God. And it reminded me when I was thinking about this, when I was 18 years old, I went, I had a gap year and I went traveling with a friend of mine uh, by train through uh, France and through Spain. We went together for about five months. So we packed everything we might possibly need for five months in, I'm not joking, a bag that was about this high, it was almost as tall as me. Um, and we had to hoik it around everywhere we went. They were heavy, I tell you now. I mean, I could carry it, I could get it on my back, but I was always aware of its presence. And if I slightly lost my balance or did a misstep, then it had the potential to bring me right down. And in fact, there was one time I was in a train station and I was picking up my bag, uh, ready to go, and I did lose my balance and ended up flat on my back on top of my bag with my arms and my legs flailing about in the air, you know, like a little turtle or a woodlouse or something. Uh, <laughs> I had to roll off and pick it up. That bag was a constant reminder of the heavy burden I had to carry around for five months. Can you see the picture? See, I couldn't, ha I couldn't leave it anywhere. I couldn't get rid of it. It had stuff that, that I needed in it. It's like sin. We carry it with us. We can't leave it anywhere. We can't shake off the burden. Something has to be done to deal with it. So going back to this picture of animal sacrifice. So hidden in plain sight was this idea that blood has to be shed for sins to be forgiven. A sacrifice was needed that was better than what these animals could do. Something that was permanent, something that really did substitute for that weighty sin that all humanity was carrying. And when the people brought the animal sacrifices into the temple, they were doing what was required of them ceremonially to make them outwardly clean and outwardly free from this burden of sin. But as with the passage that we've just heard read by Josh tells us, it wasn't God's desire. This set up with the animal sacrifices it didn't please him it he didn't want just outwardly clean people he didn't want just a process that they went through he clearly hadn't established this whole sacrificial system to fix a broken relationship between himself and humanity it was pointing to something else it was pointing to something more it was pointing to someone more and we know now that it was God himself that became that sacrifice. He became the substitute. He took on the punishment for sin that we knew had to be taken and he took on that brokenness in his own body. And that was always the plan, praise God. That was always the plan. It was never about these animals. It was always about Jesus. And from that moment in the garden when everything was lost, he made a promise to restore it and restore that relationship he did. So the broken burden that we all carry that brokenness represented by the broken body of these animals was finally and ultimately and completely dealt with by Jesus in his broken body and his shed blood and we've been hearing that all morning and it says in verse 14 of this passage by one sacrifice he has made perfect not just outwardly clean but perfect those who are being made holy hint 
that's you and me. That's the people of God, those who have put their trust in Jesus. He's made us perfect. The crushing reminder of sin that was undealt with, the reminder of separation and guilt, is now replaced by a rejoicing in remembering the sacrifice that God made through his son. That's why we celebrate communion every week, isn't it? Because it's not just about remembering the sin, it's remembering what Jesus did about the sin. (laughs) And not only this, but God now declares, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. He's not going to remember them anymore. Because it's not just provision for making people outwardly clean religiously, looking good and shiny on the outside, but dead on the inside. He's written his own cleanliness into and onto our hearts and into and onto our minds. So where it was once the case that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Now we see that because sin is forgiven at the cross, there's no longer any need for more shed blood. It's been done once and for all. Amen. Our sin is no longer remembered by God, but forgiven by God. It's not carried by us as a burden, but it's placed on Jesus. It's not constantly threatening to topple us over. It no longer has a hold on us at all. It's not reminding us of our brokenness, our distance from God, but it's causing us to celebrate what Jesus did in making us right with the Father. Now, that is good news. And that's why we call it Good Friday. And you know, the best thing, it's not the end of the story, as Graham said. And if you come on Sunday morning, you'll hear the rest. 